Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Dun, dun, dun. Mama Mystery is back with your host, Kelly Evans. And your co-host, Austin Evans. However, I will not be present this time. Romeo will be here as a special guest. And do you want to tell people why? Because I'm doing four miles every four hours for 48 hours. It's ridiculous. Enjoy Romeo being on the show. I'll be back next time. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> definitely you'll be back. He's afraid he's not going to be back. But he's definitely going to be back because this show isn't the same without my co-host. So you'll be back. Okay? Bye, everybody. of Mama Mystery. Today I have a special guest with me because our usual co-host Austin is um, doing a running walking challenge right now. So he is a little out of sorts and super tired. So um, today instead I brought my best friend Romeo. Say hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited that you came to join us. And we are drinking a little bit of Moscato, so this could get a little feisty by the end. If you know Romeo, you already know. So today we are going to be talking about Pamela Smart. And Romeo has no idea who Pamela Smart is. No, I don't. (laughs) But I kind of gave him the gist of the story, and he said that um, she's his kind of girl. So I guess we'll see what you guys think. You ready? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be shy, Romeo. Anyone who knows you knows you're not shy. Why don't you introduce yourself by saying something about yourself? Oh, my God. Um, Well, I am a Southern woman. I hail from Texas. Uh, I've lived in Missouri for the most of my life. Um, I just turned 27. Lies. And I have a three-year-old son. I'm just your... Everyday suburban housewife. That's an esthetician. Nice. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. So we know each other from hair school. We met like, how long ago was that? Seven Seven or eight years. Yeah. Yeah. We've been together for a long time. You and I. Mm Mm-hmm. 
going strong. Oh, God. What would you do without me? Probably not be doing shit like this. <laughs> you love it, and you're going to love it. This is going to be so fun. I can't wait to see how you react. So, like I said, we're talking about Pamela Smart. Um, also, before we get started, I want to make a correction to my last podcast on Bobby Jost in it. So, at the beginning, we talked about the various notorious crimes that plague the small town of Skidmore. And I talked about Greg Dragu, who beat and dragged his girlfriend Wendy Gillenwater down several county roads before leaving her to die. Well, that was not 100% correct. The fact is, he actually beat her inside of their home, then dragged her out to the front yard and left her there half naked where she ultimately died. So I just wanted to make that correction and say thank you to the listener who corrected me. Um, I actually really do appreciate so much when people reach out and give me suggestions or corrections because it is exactly what makes this podcast better. So I truly do appreciate it. And I also want to give an update because we literally released this podcast like a few days ago, the Bobby Joe in it. And already, um, Lisa Montgomery, the murderer made news because her execution has been delayed because her lawyers who are trying to get, um, I think a stay of execution or to get it delayed, if not completely, um, like canceled, have COVID. So I don't know what that has to do with her dying. Um, but yeah, so her execution has been delayed until after the first of the year. No date has been set. So are you ready? Party. Let's party. Let's do it. So today we're talking about a notorious case that occurred in the 1990s, a hot for teacher scenario where a young boy was manipulated by his attractive older teacher. That's hot. <laughs> Pamela Smart was born in 1967 and grew up in Miami, Florida. In eighth grade, her family moved to New Hampshire. She was super smart. She had straight A's, was class president. She was the DJ on the school's radio station, and she was also in student council. But she also had a bit of a wild side. She was known as the Maiden of Metal, where she played heavy metal music on the school's radio. Pam went to school at Florida State and met Greg Smart while they were on Christmas vacation in New Hampshire. They tried to make it work long distance before Greg finally decided to move to Florida to be closer to Pam. She graduated from Florida State in 1988, and they moved back to New Hampshire where Pamela got a job at a local school. She worked as a media teacher, teaching the kids how to make videos, audio recordings for commercials, things of that nature. Once they moved back to New Hampshire and got full-time jobs, Greg decided it was time to kind of settle down. He cut his long hair into a short, well-groomed style and started selling insurance with his dad. They got married the following year in 1989 when Pam was 21 and Greg was 23. They had a beautiful wedding, and by all accounts, they appeared to be a happy young couple. They had plans to buy a house and start a family, but friends recollected that they still liked to party. They would often have parties at their house, and rumors swirled that there were sometimes drug use at these parties. Then, just one week before their very first wedding anniversary on May 1st of 1990, Pamela Smart comes home to find Greg Smart dead in the foyer of their house. So, that's intense. Yeah, it's quite a whirlwind. 
what a whirlwind. What would you do if you came home before your first anniversary to find your, your husband dead? That's crazy. That would be crazy. I hope that he would have had the, his uh, health insurance figured life out. Life insurance. Yeah, life insurance figured out. <laughs> but uh, other than that, I would be devastated for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty early on in the relationship. You're to, still in the honeymoon phase. You should be. Yeah. Yeah, and 21 and 23, that's pretty young. 21 and 23? That's how old they were. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so I guess by the time of his death, they were 22 and 24, probably getting close to that anyway. Yeah, craziness. So police begin investigating the crime scene, and one of the first things they find is a joint in Greg's truck. So their initial thought is that maybe this was a, <clears throat> a drug deal gone bad. The house had also been ransacked, so they thought this could be a disrupted burglary. Then in the middle of the night, that night, police get an urgent request. Friends of Pam are reaching out saying, Pam is wondering why you're not talking to her. She wants to talk to them, meaning the police. So they bring Pamela in and question her on how she spent the final hours of her life, of her husband's life. She told them what she did that day, that she was at school working and called Greg around 3 p.m. to let him know that a meeting she was planning to attend would run a little late. She got home around 10.30 that night, noticed that all the lights were off at the house, which she found unusual since Greg's truck was there. She noticed that the front door was left open, and when she pushed it further open, she noticed Greg lying on the floor of the foyer. She said she didn't notice any blood, so she thought maybe he had been hit, and that when she looked up and around, the house appeared to be ransacked. So she ran next door to ask for help, fearful that an intruder could still be in the house. So they ask her if he has any trouble with money or connections to the local drug trade, and she says no. So this points to a possible burglary gone wrong. However, his wallet was still there with everything in it, and it wasn't until an autopsy was performed and completed that they found the, the cause of death, which was a shot, a gunshot behind the ear. So as time went on, some people came out of the woodwork to tell investigators that Greg had a gambling problem and that maybe he had a debt owed to the wrong person. Investigators went to Atlantic City and found a dead end. Nobody there could corroborate the theory that he owed money to the wrong people. As Greg was laid to rest, the community was left reeling. From the outside looking in, everything seemed to be perfect. This young couple, newly married, was just starting their lives together. Both had decent jobs, a nice home. What in the world could have gone wrong that caused the death of a 23-year-old husband? So what are your thoughts so far? Well, he was shot in a really odd place. Or he had a gun wound behind the ear, is that correct? Yes. Yeah, that sounds really weird because whenever I think of that... It sounds like to me what comes to mind is like someone holding him hostage and like has the gun to his head. Like for some reason I would think like, I don't know, maybe they'd have it in that general vicinity to like trying to scare him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, that sounds kind of weird. Yeah. Maybe like an ambush type of situation. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that they ransacked the house. But didn't take his wallet. Like what are you looking for? Right. If you're not going to take the stuff of value. Like his wallet was there. His credit cards were still in there. He even still had his wedding ring on, so it's still kind of fishy. Well, if he was a pot smoker, they probably were looking for drugs. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. But they missed it because they found drugs in his truck. 
a but joint. I guess maybe, yeah, one just joint. one joint. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know. Is that not a lot? <laughs> no. Tell me. Tell me about your experience with drugs, Romeo. Well, I would think that if um, someone was going to rob somebody, they would literally take everything valuable in the smallest amount of time possible. So the fact that they didn't take any of his jewelry or his credit cards or his money and then went through his house. Um, Maybe th- they were looking for something specific. Yeah, like drugs. Like Hot. Mary Jane. Yeah. The devil's lettuce. Yes. Maybe they were looking for like a whole head of lettuce and not just a joint. Get, get what I'm saying? I guess. I'm sorry. I don't have much experience in that arena. <laughs> <laughs> Drink your wine. So as the media kept speculating, Pam was eager to clear Greg's name. She called Bill Spencer, a local TV anchor, requesting an interview, even though the police told her explicitly to stay out of the public eye and out of the media. So she meets with Bill Spencer within a day or two of her first anniversary for a television interview. Bill Spencer recalls the most surprising aspects of that interview, stating that she is giving the reporter ideas for shots, like one of her taking their wedding cake out of the fridge and looking at it retrospectively, like the drama. Which he found as odd, and she never says anything like, please help find who did this. She's just kind of talking about herself and how her life is going to go on. This isn't the only interview that she does. She does multiple interviews where she gives information out that the investigators didn't want others to know. Like, she's telling people this looks like it was a burglary and giving them details from the scene. So investigators have no other choice but to stop telling her things. So then two weeks after Greg's murder, out of nowhere, investigators get an anonymous phone call from a female who says she has information about the murder of Greg Smart. She tells investigators that from what she heard, the wife planned this. She said she works at a restaurant and that there's a 15-year-old girl who works there named Cecilia Pierce who was involved in the planning. This girl, Cecilia, not only went to high school where Pamela worked, but she was Pamela's intern. Cecilia wanted to be a journalist who was impressed by Pamela Smart, and she didn't have much self-esteem. She was a heavier girl, lived in a lower-income part of town, um, had no real friends, so she really, she really looked up to Pamela, and Pamela was only one of very few people who actually gave her attention. So just a side note that I want to add is that when investigators asked Pamela if anyone had been to her house prior to Greg's murder, she had given them this whole list of people who could have been at the house that week so that they could rule out fingerprints, right? So even as minuscule as like the water delivery man who like changes out big water jugs, she wrote their name down. But the thing is, Cecilia had stayed at her house for almost a whole week the week prior, but Pamela never mentioned that to police. Well, why would she? Well, why would she mention, like, the water man, but not Cecilia? Because if she did it, she's trying to cover it up and make it look like, oh, well, I've got to I've got to sit down and come up with a list of everybody that was at the house. Like, you're really trying hard, like, if you're naming the freaking Colgan man. Yes, and not this girl who stayed with you for a week. Mm-hmm. She knows something. She mm-hmm. doesn't want them to go to Cecilia, I think. Nope. I mean, I already know because I wrote this, so. You already know. Well, of course. I wrote the whole thing, Romeo. I wrote it. Oh, I thought you were reading a story. Well, I mean, yes, I wrote the whole story, but like I... Romeo, what did you think you were coming over here for? I don't know. I don't know what's happening. (laughs) I'm just here drinking for for the free free wine. (laughs) For the free wine and the storytelling. Yeah. um, What do they call those? Like, those like tales. Oh my God. What do they call them? 
go, go, ghost, what do they call them? Spooky stories, like ghost stories? <laughs> no. <laughs> like at camp. If you go to camp and you're like up late at night with flashlights in your face and you're telling like spooky stories, that's what you're here for. Like we're going to drink wine and swap ghost stories? Yeah. No. I guess. I don't know. Forget it. Just forget it. <laughs> All right. So Cecilia, geez. So Pamela is starting to get frustrated that police aren't telling her anything anymore. She doesn't feel like she's being included in the investigation. She's having a little FOMO. So on June 6th, she calls Bill Spencer for another interview. Once again, she addresses the investigation. She tells them that they have new leads with a lot of them being dead ends. And the police are getting really frustrated with her. They're starting to suspect that maybe she has something to do with it, but they don't have any evidence. Until a man named Vance Latimy walks into the station to say that a friend of his son named Ralph Welch told him, hey, I think your gun may have been used to, ki- to kill that guy over in New Hampshire. Upon hearing this, Mr. Latimy goes to his gun cabinet to pull out his gun and notices that his gun is totally clean. But this is unusual because the last time he used it, he didn't clean it. So authorities examine the pistol and realize it is the same caliber as the bullet they found in Greg Smart's murder. So investigators bring in Ralph Welch for questioning. They ask him if he has any information regarding the Greg Smart murder. Ralph Welch is friends with a group of boys consisting of Vance Latimy Jr., the earlier man's son, Pete Randall, and Billy Flynn. They're a tight-knit group of friends, but Ralph began to worry about the other three guys because he was hearing rumors about Billy Flynn bragging about killing a guy in New Hampshire. Ralph says that he approached Billy Flynn to ask him, did you really do it? And Billy Flynn says no, but when Ralph walks out of the room, he overhears the guys talking and hears them say something about someone being next. So he turns around, goes back into the room, and says, I can't believe you lied to me about this. And it's then that Billy Flynn comes clean and tells him exactly what happened. Billy tells Ralph that they did it for insurance money and that they were promised a whopping $500 to kill Greg and that it was Pam Smart who asked them to do it. Oh my God, I'm literally psychic. (laughs) This is why I said, like, she's like my kind of woman. Like, did you not hear what I said whenever you said, what would I think if my husband was dead and I walked in the house? Yes. Insurance money. Yeah. So you're psychic? (laughs) Literally. Like, I have ESPN. Like, I already solved all of this stuff before it even started. Oh my God, it's not just flew out of my nose. I already solved this at the beginning before you even read anything. Okay, tell me what you think the conclusion is. Tell me what happens. Um, she hired some kids to sh- to kill her husband, and they she promised him insurance money. Why do you think she did that? Probably because she was unhappy with her husband, and she wanted after only one year. That's so sad. Yeah. Well. It's this marriage is a societal thing. I mean, you're supposed to go to school to get a good job, you know, go to college to get a good job, and then you meet somebody, and then you get married, and then you buy a house, and then you have kids. It's like the American dream. Yeah, some it's the people, American assembly line. Yeah, some people get bored of that, and they're like, need to create drama in their lives. And she was probably like, you know what? I don't want any of this. And she hired those kids to kill her husband so she could collect insurance money. 
And go live her best life. Yeah, being a thought. At some Metallica concerts. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if Metallica was a thing back then. It's the 80s, probably not. It was the 90s. It was the 90s, I mean. <laughs> oh my God, tell me more about the story that I wrote. <laughs> this is the 90s. Civil rights. It's civil rights. <laughs> drink your wine. Drink every time I tell you to drink your wine. Jeez Louise, I've told you like four times. I'm almost done with mine, so you should drink yours. I know. I'm more of a sipper. Okay. So where were we? So how are all these kids associated with Pam? Well, we already pointed out that Cecilia was Pam's intern. The boys all went to school where Pam worked, and Pam was the head of a program called Project Self-Esteem. These boys were all in this program, and they were all working on a contest together, and the contest was to make some cheesy orange juice commercial. So investigators were desperate to then question these boys, but they can't find them anywhere, even in this small town. The boys' parents were actually the ones to clue the cops into where the boys were, and they're found and arrested, but the media did not release their names. Pam sees this on the news and calls Billy Flynn, of all people. She doesn't even know who's been arrested, but she calls Billy Flynn and reaches his mom, who says it was Billy, Pete Randall, and J.R. Latimer that were arrested. So then Bill Spencer, the reporter that who has already gotten two interviews out of her, goes to her home to interview her after this bombshell was just dropped. And she cracks open the door and tells him she can't comment, she really can't comment, and that she's just devastated by this. But what's odd about that is that she showed more emotion after finding out that these boys killed her husband than she did in the interviews where she was just talking about her husband being killed. Not only that, but the mystery has been solved. They found who did it, but she's devastated. Like, it's just not making any sense. And I understand being upset, but she goes from, like, inviting these interviewers in and being like, oh, here, get a shot of me eating the cake. She liked the attention. Yeah, until then she all of a sudden didn't. Like, why? Yeah, why because would that shit's change? getting real, and she realized shit's that her, getting evil, real. her evil plot is unfolding before her very eyes. Anyway, (laughs) so investigators are questioning the boys, but they're all refusing to talk without their lawyers. Smart boys. Okay. Every time I hear something like this of people who say like, I'm done talking until I get my lawyer. I think of dumbass Chris Watts, who by the way, should be where he's at. Okay. I am not by any means trying to say like, oh, you could have gotten away with it if you just follow these tips. But I'm amazed at the number of criminals who are dumb enough to allow an investigator or an interrogator to question them until like the wee hours of the night, break them down and make them crack without ever asking for a lawyer. If you ask for a lawyer, you shut it down. Like they cannot ask you any more questions. It amazes me that these 15, 16 year old boys had the peace of mind to say, we're not talking without our lawyers. And maybe their parents had something to do with that. I don't know. And then you think of Chris Watts who sat there and talked to investigators forever and probably could have actually gotten like a trial. I'm not saying, please don't like twist my words that I think he could have gotten away with it if he just would have asked for a lawyer. But it just amazes me sometimes that these criminals are so dumb. They could have been coached if this was carefully thought out and planned. She, co- she could have already foreseen all of this and was like, don't say anything unless you have a lawyer present because kids don't know stuff like that. That's, that's so true. Kids don't know stuff like that. 
And we do find out later that there was some coaching going on. Um, See, I literally am psychic. See, you should just be on future episodes with me. No. (laughs) (laughs) Fine, I don't want you to anyway. Plus, Austin's not going to let you. He's already mad at me that I'm making you do this instead of him. But he'll get over it. So anyway, investigators are questioning the boys, but they're all refusing to talk without their lawyers. So the police remember the phone call regarding Cecilia Pierce, and they think, we've got to get her back in here to question her and see if we can crack her. So they bring Cecilia in for questioning and tell her that if she doesn't tell them what she knows, she'll be considered an accomplice and she'll be in trouble for hindering their investigation. Cecilia's mom tells the investigators, don't talk to my daughter like that. And one of the cops snaps and says, we are trying to help your daughter. And if she doesn't start talking, she's going to be in big trouble. She's in way over her head and we're trying to help her. So Cecilia and her mom end up leaving without saying anything. They go home and Cecilia is watching the news and they're saying on the news that they're interested in arresting another person involved. So Cecilia assumed it would be her. So she calls the police the next day and says, okay, I will cooperate. So they ask Cecilia what kind of relationship she has with Pam. She says Pam is like a big sister to her and that they're really close. And then they ask her what kind of relationship Pam had with Billy Flynn. And Cecilia says they were friends and they were having an affair. Pam said they were in love and obviously they were having sex because I walked in on them. That's what Cecilia said. So Pam Smart never mentioned any of this, of course. And this makes sense as to why Pam never mentioned Cecilia to the police, because she probably knew that the police would get this information out of her. Police come up with the idea to then tap Cecilia's phone. They want to hear Pam admit that she had a part of this whole plan. But during their phone call, Pam appears to be pretty paranoid and refuses to talk about Greg's death. Police realize a phone tap will probably not work, so they take it to the next level. They convince Cecilia and her mom to place a wire on Cecilia and send her to talk to Pam face-to-face. So Cecilia goes to Pam's office while wearing a wire, and it's just the two of them in this office. Cecilia's ultimate goal here is to get Pam to admit to having a part in Greg's murder. Investigators are listening to the whole conversation, and Pam begins to talk about how Ralph shot his mouth off about the boys killing Greg, but that these guys, quote, these guys are never going to get convicted for murder unless they have fingerprints and hair and everything. You know what I mean? Like, they're just never going to get convicted because Ralph said. Then Pam presses Cecilia about her involvement with law enforcement, and Cecilia says, I mean, obviously I knew about it beforehand, and if I get up there and lie, and if they find out about it after, I'm going to get in trouble. To which Pam responds, well, if you knew about about it before, just say you didn't know about it beforehand. Cecilia says, but I did know about it beforehand. And Pam says, yeah, but if you say that, you're going to get in trouble anyway, so you're better off just lying. Then Pam says... If you tell the truth, you're probably going to get arrested. And even if you're not arrested, you're going to have to send Bill. You're going to have to send Pete. You're going to have to send JR. And you're going to have to send me to the fucking slammer for the rest of our entire life. And it's all on tape that Pam said those things. This ends up being a gold mine for investigators. So they decide they have enough evidence to arrest her. They head to her work and arrest her right there in her office. They walk in and tell her, well, Pam... 
We've got good news and we've got bad news. The good news is that we've solved the murder of your husband, but the bad news is you're under arrest. Boom, boom, boom. <laughs> She's indicted on charges for being an accomplice to first degree murder. <clears throat> Meanwhile, investigators get the boys in separate interrogation rooms with their lawyers present and begin drilling them with all types of questions. Their stories all align that Billy Flynn pulled the trigger, but that Pamela Smart planned the whole thing. The prosecutor offers the boys a plea agreement if they are willing to testify against Pamela Smart. And this is very important. The prosecutor offers the boys a plea agreement, okay? The agreement for all three boys is 40 years to life for Billy, Pete, and Vance with the ability to defer 12 years of that sentence for good behavior. So once the case goes to trial, the judge agrees to a shocking decision to allow the trial to be brought, excuse me, broadcast live. And this has never happened before. This was the first time ever that a trial would be broadcast live, which is really pretty huge if you think about it. One, because you have no idea what kind of evidence is going to come up and you're just going to allow any person to like watch it on TV. But two, you have all these people who are developing opinions on their own of if she's guilty or not. So like no matter how or which way the jury goes, like everyone kind of already has their minds made up. And media was already a frenzy regarding this case. Photos of Pam Smart dressed in risque clothing were shown on the covers of many magazines with hot for teacher type headlines. And apparently these private photos were given to Billy Flynn as a gift. Her image in the media was already really tough to combat for the defense. So her team of lawyers had their jobs cut out for them. According to the prosecution, Pamela Smart's motive was not only about her reputation because, of course, no one would have sympathy for the woman who left her husband for a 16-year-old boy. They believed she thought she'd garner more sympathy as a grieving widow, but that wasn't all. She had a $150,000 life insurance policy on Greg, which was astounding because people that age at that time just did not have policies that big. But also to think... She's going to get 150 grand and she's going to give them 500 bucks for killing him. Cheap ass bitch. Yeah. When the boys get on the stand, they recall the details of exactly what happened on May 1st. J.R. Latimy, or otherwise known as Latimy Jr., Vance Latimy Jr., but he goes by J.R. Latimy, had plans to use his grandma's car to pick everyone up, but that plan fell through. So Pam came and picked up the boys, and they went over the details of the plan. She was adamant that they not use a knife because she had white furniture, and a knife would cause too much blood splatter. Are you serious? Yeah. She's concerned about her home decor and her furniture? Yes. Please don't make a mess. Please do it out in the foyer. <laughs> Apparently, she asked them how she should react when she discovers him and talks to the police. Like, she wants tips on how she should react. Are you that much of a robot? She's literally probably practicing in the mirror her surprised or devastated face because that's what crazy people do. How would you react? Do it right now. Give me your most dramatic discovery. <gasps> Gasp! <laughs> that's probably believable, right? Oscar. Oscar-worthy. Yeah. So then Billy Flynn gets on the stand. He begins talking about their relationship and the way in which it flourished. How they began as friends, but over time grew closer. And then one day, Cecilia passed him a note that was apparently from Pam. And it said something like, 
do you ever think about me? Because I think about you all the time. So he realizes, holy shit, my teacher is into me. Barf. And um, let's just talk about the fact that apparently this is super common because it is in the news all the time. And I've heard stories of people who have like had affairs with their students, like even from this town. And I'm not going to say names. Oh, my. But, oh, my God, it just blows my mind. That's so gross. Like, these boys are children. Apparently, she doesn't care. People don't care. Apparently not. People are just, I don't know. Like, what kind of issues must you have to be attracted I don't know. to I would just, such young kids? I mean, being a dad, I would just think about, like, if when crew gets older, if someone my age was, like, trying to get with him. That's right? nasty. It's so gross. Ew, just ew. There's so much more maturing you have to do. Their beards are all splotchy and their maturity is like down the drain. They have no maturity whatsoever. It's just like there's nothing I could ever find attractive about a 16-year-old boy. They're stupid. They smell. They're gross. Right. How old would Austin have been when you were 16? Oh, my God. Mic drop. Of all, we did not meet until he was 22. So go eat glass. <laughs> Dumb bitch. Anyway, so he recalls the first time that they kissed when Pam. Sorry, my face is like so red right now. <laughs> there is a. Let me just clarify <laughs> now because now we have to talk about it. There is a whopping five-year age gap, age gap, age gap between Austin and I. So when you were 16, he would have been... 11, but we didn't meet when he was 16, or when I was 16. Wait, what? You. Wait, how old would I have been when... No, how old would Austin have been when you were 16? Okay, he would have been 11. That's trifling. Excuse me, we did not meet then, <laughs> Austin. Oh my god, I almost called you Austin because I'm getting riled up. And it's I usually okay. get riled up at Austin. Tyson and I are five and a half years apart, so. Then shut up. Mm. See, if I would have known that, I would have pulled that out way earlier. Wow, we've only been friends for eight years and you don't know that. Yeah, how old are you? I know you're 34. <laughs> so that makes him, what, 29? If I'm 34, how old does that make you? 32. 44. Shut up. You're so bad at math, it's stupid. Back to the story. Oh my god. Miss Evans. Mrs. Mrs. So, Billy Flynn recalls the first time that they kissed when Pam leaned over and whispered in his ear, aren't you ever going to kiss me? To which he replies with a kiss. And get this, it was the first time he ever made out with a girl. Ever. And it's with his teacher. Big barf. So then he recalls Pam asking him if he'd ever seen a movie called Nine and a Half Weeks with Kim Basinger. Have you ever seen it? No. I haven't either. But apparently there's a raunchy scene in that movie that Pamela wanted to reenact for Billy. So one weekend, Greg goes out of town and Pam invites Billy and Cecilia over to watch the movie Nine and a Half Weeks. At one point... Pam leads Billy upstairs, and she changes into a similar outfit and begins dancing for him. One thing leads to another, and Pam ends up taking the 16-year-old's virginity. Big barf. Big fat barf. Like, I can't just, no, we're going to just skip on past that. Gross. 
So Billy said that once their relationship was consummated, she began talking about how Greg needed to go. She said, I need you to kill my husband. And if you love me, you will do this for me. When he asked about divorce, she said, that's just not an option because she would lose the house, the furniture, the car, everything. So Pam sets it all up. She creates an alibi by committing to the board meeting and she arranges transportation to get them to her house. And Billy, being a young 16-year-old boy with a still-developing frontal lobe who is incapable of thinking reasonably or into the future, because in his mind all he knows is that he, if he wants to be with Pam, Greg's got to go. So it's like she totally manipulated this young boy who she knew was too dumb to think reasonably to go kill her husband. So Billy recounts the night of the murder, and he says they got into the house by going into an unlatched little side door on the side of their house. They rummaged through everything in the house to make it look like a burglary, but again, they're so dumb that they didn't actually take anything of value, so it was very obvious and apparent that it was a staged burglary. And when Greg finally gets home, they attack him right there by the front door. They get him down to his knees, and Billy says he stood behind him with the pistol pointed to the back of his head. Oh my God, again, I'm psychic. Through tears, that or you've like done this before. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> Through tears, Billy recalls how Greg was asking what was going on, why were they there. He said he cocked the hammer back and pointed the gun at his head. He waited nervously before finally saying, God, forgive me, and he pulls the trigger. <sighs> now, of course, Pam Smart denies all of this. She admits to having an affair, but an adulteress does not a murderer make. She believed that these boys all set her up so they could get the plea deal for, for the murder since they knew they'd already been caught and could have been facing the death penalty. So she thinks that in their mind... They are saying, we don't want the death penalty, so yeah, we'll go against Pam if you give us 40 years to life instead. Of course, they're going to rather take that. According to Pam, the demise of their marriage began when Greg had an affair and admitted it to Pam. Pam was absolutely crushed by this. It crushed her spirit and her self-esteem. And when Billy Flan began crushing on her, she was vulnerable and gave in to him. She admits to falling for Billy Flynn, but also insisted that she still loved Greg at the time. Three days prior to the murder, she tells the jury that she broke things off with Billy Flynn. She told him the affair is over and that she wanted to be with Greg. And she said that Billy threatened to kill himself over this. Pam's defense insists that Billy Flynn was just so obsessed with her she was his first love, his first kiss, and took his virginity that he killed Greg to get back at her. But remember those recordings of her conversation with Cecilia? Pam says that Cecilia was her only means to information since dairy police wouldn't talk to her. She argues that she was actually just role-playing to try to get Cecilia to talk to her and maybe admit something. But I don't believe this at all. You know, I, I could almost believe like her, the previous story of like, you know, she was crushed, but then decided to stay with Greg and then Billy being immature, got really upset and, you know, went off the deep end. I can almost believe that if it weren't for those tapes. Yeah. Makes so. sense. After 11 days of testimony, it is up to the jury to decide Pam's fate. They took less than three days to come to a decision. Media vans surrounded and packed the courthouse. The judge had to make it very clear 
that there would be absolutely no outbursts, cheers, cries, nothing. The time has come and the jury announces that they find Pamela Smart guilty of being an accomplice to first degree murder. She is sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But here's what blows my mind, okay? Billy Flynn, the one who pulled the trigger, is free today. He was sentenced to life in prison and not eligible for parole for 40 years, with 12 years of the minimum sentence deferred if he maintained good behavior. So on June 4th of 2015, he was released on lifetime parole. Patrick Randall received the same sentence and was also released the very same day. Vance Latimy Jr. was released even earlier than them in 2005, just 15 years after Greg Smart's murder. Pam Smart remains in prison with no chance for parole. In February of 2018, her attorneys filed a petition with the New Hampshire governor requesting a reduction in her life sentence, which would make her eligible for possible parole or early release for time served, but that request was rejected. Since then, she has continued to fight for freedom, but has been met with nothing but opposition, so it doesn't look good for her. But how crazy is it that she didn't even pull the trigger, and she's the one still in prison, but the one who actually did it, pulled the trigger, is free. He was a minor, though. And like you said, his frontal lobe wasn't even fully developed. But that didn't even, that wasn't even in consideration. It wasn't like a juvenile sentence. I believe he was tried as an adult, Mm. but it's still just, just the fact that like she didn't even pull the trigger and she's still in prison, but he's not. That's the one thing I have a hard time. Like, yeah, I mean, I could see where you're coming from, but I mean, she was the head honcho master manipulator with the whole plan. So it's like, she, you know, just used those boys as like pawns in her little plan. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, she might as well pull the trigger herself. Yeah. That guy was just. You know, if you remember your first love, you probably would have done a lot of stupid things as well. So, mm. yeah, I don't know. Maybe not that extreme. I mean, well, I've already... not that extreme, but I'm just saying he was probably blinded, like by blinded a lot of different by things. Blinded the love. Yeah. I'm smart with no lips on her face. You should look up a picture of her. She's got like no lips. I'm gonna that look. was really low of me. I'm gonna look. I should probably edit that part out. It makes me look really shallow. I'm smart. Well, if the shoe fits. Hey! <gasps> okay, exactly. Ew! Yeah. Yeah, she's not quite a looker no these tea, days. No shade, no pink lemonade, but ew. Yeah, I don't know. Some people will just do crazy things for what they think is love, I guess. No, she is literally a selfish human being. She literally was unhappy in her relationship and failed to communicate that with her husband, who is blinded by all of this stuff and is just, you know, working and paying her bills and providing for his family. And she's unhappy and doesn't want to have that conversation. But yet she still wants to have her cake and eat it too. So she just comes up with this plan and that's just ridiculous. Like material possessions are more important to her than the life of a person. I absolutely agree. And if I, if I really had to like weigh in on this, I think they both should be in prison still. I don't think one should be out. I think they both should still be in prison because ultimately Greg lost his life. Greg is dead. Yeah. So 
No, I agree that. I think it takes something, you know, different in your makeup or your mind to actually like physically kill someone. I can imagine like pulling a trigger and just ending someone's life. No, I absolutely could. I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Yeah. That's just too much of an extreme. Well, thank you so much for joining me for the first time. It only took like 15 episodes for you to finally get your ass over here. So do you think you'll be back? Wow. Thank you. (laughs) I might be back. You never know. Yeah, you never know if I'll actually invite you. Mm, Well, I've already solved this whole mystery before you even wrote it, so. Well, um, maybe next time I will pick something that's a little trickier and something that you won't be able to guess. And I won't give you any clues beforehand like you made me do tonight. Um, There was no clues. I just asked what I was going to be doing. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you all so much for listening. We will be back on Monday because what I've decided to do is do Freaky Fridays and Murder Mondays. So I will try my best to get episodes out every Friday and Monday. So like, comment, share, do the thing, rate, whatever. Get it out there. I appreciate you so much. Stay safe. Bye. Bye.